Jones and for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you and joined now by Julian Zellers, a political historian at Princeton University and a New America Foundation fellow. He has published over 500 op-eds. So he's a brainiac. Uh, well, Princeton, come on. Also, his weekly column on CNN.com. He also has a recent book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society, and he has numerous fellowships. Julian Zelizer, thank you very much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. want to talk about... Um, the, di- the dilemma facing the Republican Party, um, this is one of the things I want to talk about. Now that Donald Trump is the presumptive nominee, as, as it's being called, I mean, come, let's, let's be real. He's it. He is the one, the thing, whatever you want to call it. Um, some are still talking about uh, Senator Ben Sass just today, actually, from Nebraska, saying there has to be an alternative to both Trump and Hillary Clinton. But I don't know who that would be. Well, he's suggesting Tom Coburn, uh, Dr. No, which is never going to happen. But um, some Republicans are going to have to choose whether to back Trump. And you've written about this. And it would be very interesting to go through with you on on some of these and, and how difficult their decisions are going to be and whether you think they're all going to fall in line in the end. Do you think everybody's going to get in line and cave? Not everyone. And there will be some Republican leaders who, for various reasons, stick to what they're doing now, not endorsing or uh, refusing to endorse two different things. Uh, but I do think more Republicans will either openly support Donald Trump or say, as uh, a few have, like Bobby Jindal, they'll vote for him. So you will see this change. We're in a period where I think a lot of Republicans are letting this settle in, and they're trying to read you know, the political uh, uh, signs and see how this is going. But I think you'll have more partisan buy-in uh, than people are suspecting. Now, I'll vote for him is code for I'm not bloody endorsing him, right? Right. But if you're going to vote for him, you're still supporting the party and you're giving a signal to voters uh, that they should do the same. And that's pretty much what uh, New Hampshire Senator Kelly Ayotte has done, right? Has she not said that she'll vote for him, but she has not said she'll endorse him? Right. And, you know, I do think a lot of Republicans are going to feel pressure to do something like that, because a lot of voters in these states, as we have seen, uh, you know, red states like Donald Trump. And, you know, he's doing pretty well. And so there is a, a risk, an electoral risk, A, to going against your own constituents, uh, but equally important to doing anything that allows Democrats to win the White House and possibly the Senate and maybe even the House. Uh, no one wants to be that Republican either. So that's a pushback uh, to some of the things we've been seeing today uh, with leading Republicans saying they're not ready to endorse. Well, we had a fascinating situation late yesterday when we had George H.W. Bush, 41, George W. Bush, 43, both coming out through spokespeople, basically saying they're not going to the convention and they they don't plan to get involved this presidential cycle. and, and George H.W. Bush has endorsed in every single election since he was president. W., of course, has campaigned for his uh, brother Jeb, low-energy Jeb, as, as uh, uh, 
uh, Trump has called him. So what do you think Jeb Bush is going to do? Well, he's in a more difficult position because he does want to remain relevant to his party. Uh, and I do think he imagines himself as being a statesman for the party in the next few years, even though I don't think anyone is going to uh, want another uh, you know, Bush campaign. He can still play a role as a power broker. And it's hard to do that if you don't uh, support the party in a presidential election. Uh, so my guess is Jeb Bush will do something uh, along the lines of what we've been talking about, announces support for the Republican Party, announces opposition to the Democrats, maybe say he'll vote for the nominee, um, but he will probably stay away from a formal endorsement. What, what about Ted Cruz, who excoriated Donald Trump when he finally let rip this week, uh, called him a moral, called him, well, he called him every name in the book without actually swearing. It was, it was, it was actually pretty impressive when Ted Cruz's gloves finally came off. But at the end of it, as uh, the New York Times pointed out, when he was asked by reporters, so are you going to support him? Once again, he wouldn't answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, I think in, in that case, uh, you will see Ted Cruz flip, meaning uh, unless somehow he gets caught up in some third-party uh, candidacy, which wouldn't really be what he's about. He wants to be the leader of the congressional Republicans. He wants to be the top conservative uh, in Washington. Uh, so he has also a lot of incentives to show he's loyal to the party. You know, you can't be the leading conservative and do something that is seen as helping to give Democrats the White House or Democrats control of the very Senate that's now going to be his base of power. So candidates often, when the primaries are over and have said ugly things to each other, still can line up in support of one another. And I still think that's going to happen with Cruz. What about uh, Paul Ryan? He's been pretty quiet. He's the speaker. Well, he actually said re just a few minutes ago that he's uh, not prepared to endorse uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he didn't say he I won't mean, he endorse him, but he said he's not prepared to do it yet. Uh, so, you know, he also is someone who wants to keep his options open, uh, watching how this uh, develops into the convention. He is someone who has refashioned himself from being a very radical Republican uh, to all of a sudden being the coalition-building uh, Republican and someone clearly with presidential aspirations. So we might not see a formal endorsement, but uh, there, too, you know, he, he wants to remain uh, a key loyal member of the party. And if Donald Trump wins the presidency, he's going to want to, you know, have someone to work with in the White House. Yeah, because he's got to work with him, and he's chairing the convention, so that would be a little awkward. Exactly. Marco Rubio. Yeah, Marco Rubio has, you know, he, he's looking not just to stay friends with the GOP. You know, he's looking at a possible appointment, whether it's vice presidential appointment or something in the cabinet, and he's a very ambitious person. This campaign did not go well for him. Uh, so I don't think he's feeling particularly confident that in four years he will inevitably be a uh, top candidate. So, you know, I think uh, Rubio is very strategic. Rubio has been willing to make alliances with 
many different parts of the party, including very conservative elements. Uh, I think he would be open, uh, not just to saying he supports Trump, but even working with him. Uh, and he's very valuable to Trump. I mean, he knows that. Uh, he contradicts a lot of the narrative that people have about Trump in terms of immigration, in terms of not understanding where young America is. Uh, so I think there's a potential alliance there. The New York Times had a piece yesterday. Uh, they'd interviewed Trump three times over the last few weeks, including on Saturday. And Trump apparently is leaning towards a governor or a member of Congress for a VP pick. Do you have any sense or any leanings towards who that might be? I have no idea. I mean, predicting vice presidential picks is a dangerous <laughs> thing any year. But to do it with Donald Trump is virtually impossible. I'd be giving you names that have no bearing in any, uh, you know, uh, strong predictive uh, uh, process. I, I, I don't think we know. I mean, I think the lesson of Donald Trump is we don't know what he's going to do, and we don't know how what he does will play out. Uh, and so we saw a, a primary go from a person who had no chance of winning to being the nominee. Uh, now we're looking at, is this nominee capable of winning the election? Many people say he's not, but I think they should be careful. Uh, but in terms of the specifics about what he does, I, I don't know. I mean, he has said he's going to pick someone from the political establishment, a legislator, a governor, someone who can show they can govern and give some comfort to some of the fears um, that that but that we have, uh, that many voters in both parties have about him. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's actually going to follow through with that. Uh, we've learned that about Donald Trump. Oh, we've learned that about Donald Trump. We, we heard yesterday he's open to raising the minimum wage, and he said in a debate that it would have to stay the, you know, stay the same. So, no, he's, he's open to completely changing his position on anything because his positions aren't his positions, it seems. Yeah, and I don't think he's fully aware of how this process unfolds. I think, you know, he has a clear vision he wanted to be president, and he has a strategy in terms of how he works in the media, and he uh, plays into some of the frustration in the electorate with the economy and with politics, but I don't think he has a clear roadmap uh, on how the specifics unfold either. I think that's part of what's allowed him to be successful. He does adjust. He does change course. Uh, he's willing to very boldly switch uh, in terms of positions or strategy when the time is right. And so when it's something like a VP pick, he doesn't have to do that yet. So I'm not convinced you know, he's even certain about what the pool looks like. We're going to take a quick break. When we continue, let's talk about the Democrats, because there's plenty to talk about there as the field narrows. We're talking with Julian Zelizer. Much more coming up. I'm Victoria Jones, in for Leslie Marshall today. I'm Victoria Jones. I'm in for Leslie Marshall today, and I'm delighted to be with you, joined by Julian Zelizer who is a political historian at Princeton University and a New America Foundation fellow. He's published over 500 op-eds, also has a weekly column on CNN.com, and a new book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. Let's talk about the Democrats. You've talked about how Bernie Sanders has changed Hillary Clinton and the Democrats and moved them to the left, uh, among other things. But suppose she gets the nomination, which is looking likely. What's to stop her from just moving back towards the middle? 
Well, uh, nothing's to stop her, and in a general election, you'd kind of expect that she would do that. Uh, that said, I think, you know, she was shaken by what happened. She never expected to have such a competitive race uh, that lasted this far into the primaries, and she understands that uh, that uh, Sanders did very well, and he tapped into a very real pool of uh, electoral support that she will need. She will need this in a general election, not just the votes, uh, but the organizing and the enthusiasm. And I think she is shrewd enough to realize that if she moves too far back, uh, you know, especially in an unpredictable race against Donald Trump, she can harm herself. So my guess is that that will be the biggest check. Got it. I want to thank you very much for that. And Julian Zelizer, thank you so much for coming on with us and talking about what's going on with the election. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me.